0: So our Advent series this year, we're working through the four names of Messiah that are given from the prophet Isaiah. Uh, And you see them over here on your right, on my left. We've been working through those. Two weeks ago, we looked at Wonderful Counselor, Last week, mighty God, and this week, everlasting Father. And then on Christmas Eve, we'll be looking at Prince of Peace. So if you have a Bible, you can turn to Isaiah chapter 9. Uh, if you don't, don't worry. The passage will be on the screen in, in just a minute. But I've got a question for you this morning. Do you know why watermelons have to get married? I haven't even given you the punchline yet. Right? You know why? Why, Monica? They can't elope, right? Exactly. That's brilliant. That is so, so brilliant. I was walking down the sidewalk the other day on Kirkwood Road, and some high school kid rolled down the window and threw out a Diet Coke can, and it hit me right in the head. But it's okay. Don't worry. It's a soft drink. Right? I got a million of them. I I could go all day. I was addicted to the Hokey Pokey, but then I turned myself around. So. <laughs> At my house, we call these stupid dad jokes, right? These are just dumb dad jokes, but that's kind of one of the things that dads do, right? They come up with ways to, you know, just kind of make their children groan. and when I do these, you know, my kids kind of look at me and they kind of shake their heads like there's absolutely no hope for me, and they something, say something like, oh, dad, you know, like it's just a, it's almost time, dad, for you to kind of go to the home and we'll come visit you, but uh But there's something about being a dad that just, if you've been a father, you are a father, you know there's something about being a dad that is both profound and glorious and absolutely terrifying. And it's interesting to me that God, in his wisdom, picked the name Everlasting Father to include in this list. God could have chosen any four names that he wanted to, to put in his description of Messiah, but one of the names he chooses is everlasting father. With that in mind, I think we we have to proceed this morning with wisdom and with caution because in a room of this size, a few hundred of us gathered together, there are a lot of different experiences with dads. Some of us who our fathers are no longer with us can look back on our lives and we can think of things that our fathers taught us, or we can think of moments with our fathers and uh, great warmth comes to mind. Uh, Great joy comes to mind. But others who hear that name, whether their fathers are living or dead, maybe they go a bit cold. Uh, Maybe they shake their head a bit in disappointment. Maybe the relationship between father and son and father and daughter uh, was a rocky one, was a rough one. Maybe it was non-existent. And so I, I, I am concerned a bit that God would use this term knowing the potential for misunderstanding. Knowing the potential for misrepresentation. And yet God is the one who has chosen this title to describe Messiah, at least partially to describe Messiah. Therefore, this morning, I think our journey is to help us understand what he means by using this name and why he chose it, given that uh, human fathers are, even the best, are imperfect. Isaiah chapter 9. Verses six and seven, hear the word of God. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness. From this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is the reading of God's holy and perfect word. To him alone be glory. Let's pray together. Father, we bow our heads before we uh, begin to study your word, uh, asking that you would teach us. Lord, every person in this room has one thing in common. We need to know the word of God whether we even know you exist or whether we've been walking with you for many years, all of us have a need in our lives to understand why we're here. What is the purpose? What are the deeper meanings of life? Father, we live in a broken world. We live in a world where fathers can, can fill us with love and laughter and thankfulness and where fathers can do great harm, where fathers can disappoint. Father, we live in a world that is racked with pain, And it is absolutely crucial that you speak to your people. What I have to say, Lord, isn't very important. It's just one more person's opinion. But what you say lasts forever. So, Father, we come now. We worship you with our voices, with our songs, with our emotions. We come to worship you with our minds. And we pray that you would teach us. Forgive me my sin. Please don't let me be a hindrance to what you want us to learn and understand and apply to our lives this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, typically, at the beginning of a sermon, I give what's called a sermon in a sentence for those of you that are new to Green Tree, and this is simply a a summation of where we're headed, and so this morning is no different. What we want to try to work through today is this, God's children through Jesus Christ. So if you have faith in Jesus for your salvation, you are a child of God. We must understand God in the context of Father as He defines and demonstrates, even though our human fathers are less than perfect. So we, we have a, a, a prism through which we're looking this morning, and that prism partially is the experience we've had with our human fathers or experiences we've had as human fathers. Now, before I dive into this text, let me say one more word of caution and, and say something about what I'm not saying this morning. Uh, this is not uh, to uh, ignore the fact that moms oftentimes play as significant or more significant of a role in their children's lives. I understand that mothers certainly can and sometimes must fill the role. But I also know that, that folks may come away from uh, a sermon like this and say you're, you're ignoring women or the Bible says that women aren't important and that simply is not the, the, the case. If you actually study scripture, what you'll find is it's not sexist. It's not demeaning, it actually holds women in a higher regard than our culture does today or any culture that has ever existed. So what we're not saying is, is that women are not important. Rather, what we need to do is understand the term that God uses because he gives us this message in a way that we can understand, in a way that we can apply to our lives. So God is explaining his truth to us and let's allow him to do that this morning. I four observations about this name. The first is this, everlasting father means provider and protector, provider. Provider is one who delivers the necessities of life. So when you think about what a person provides in in the role of father, you say, well, a a roof over your head, clothes on your back, uh, food on the table. Uh, Perhaps there are some other things that a father provides that are experiences in life, but you think about someone who, who is bringing the stuff of life to make sure that you are okay. So how does God define himself and 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 not only define himself but also uh, live it out as a provider. Well the first is this in John chapter 1 John the Baptist is preaching around Jerusalem in the Jordan River. He's having great success. People are flocking to him for for wisdom and for understanding. And as he's coming out of the river one day where he's been baptizing, he sees Jesus walking towards him. Now, John and Jesus were first cousins. They'd known each other since they were little boys. But John says, behold, and pointing to Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. In other words, God provides you and me and anyone who will believe with salvation, with new life. God f- provides for us through Jesus the forgiveness of our sins. And so at the at the very uh, core of the Christian experience is a father who takes care of our deepest need. Our deepest need is not clothes on our back. Our deepest need is not a warm home in the winter months. Our deepest need is for someone to bridge the separation that we have created by our sin with God. We have broken covenant with him, we've rebelled against him, and we deserve wrath and judgment and death. And yet God responds by providing life, salvation, and forgiveness. This didn't begin in the Gospels. If you go back to Genesis, God is calling Abraham to be his son and to follow him. And God tests Abraham's faith one day. He says, I want you to take your only son, the son of the promise through whom I've told you, you will bless the entire world. I've told you that through Isaac, you won't be able to number your descendants. And I want you to take him and I want you to offer him as a sacrifice. And Abraham obeys God, literally to the point of raising the knife when God calls out to Abraham and says, stop, don't harm your child. I know that you trust me. And then here's what happens. Abraham looked and behind him was a ram caught in the thicket. So Abraham took the ram and offered it as a burnt offering. And Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it will be provided. And if you study scripture very, very carefully, and you study it from a geographical point of view, what you will discover is where Abraham found this ram and where he first said God will provide life, right, is where the cross of Jesus Christ was or within a mile of where Jesus hung on a cross. It's the exact same location in Palestine. God is our provider. He provides life, but he also provides care. He doesn't just save us and then say, well, good luck, hope you make it, but he provides care, important verse in 1 Corinthians 10. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man, right? So the temptations that I have and the temptations that you have, we kind of all share those temptations together. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with temptation will also provide the way of escape. God isn't going to take temptation out of your life. He's going to say, well, you'll never, ever be tempted again now that you're a Christian. That isn't going to happen. But he provides for your spiritual care by saying, if you trust me, if you follow me, I will lead you away from temptation. God cares for his children, and he provides that way. And then ultimately, the book of Revelation reminds us that he is providing us with an eternal home. John says, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain for the former things have passed away. You see how awesome that verse is? You know what that verse means? That verse means, if not even in my lifetime, but I mean, even after I'm dead and gone, if the St. Louis Blues never win a Stanley Cup ever in all of history, I'll be okay because Jesus will wipe that tear away from my eye, right? God isn't just providing for you here and now. God isn't just interested in this world. He's interested in your eternal well-being. What father says, I care about my kid for a couple days, but I don't care about the rest of their life, right? God is the everlasting father who provides an eternal home, but he's also the protector. He's the one who watches over He's the one who shields. He stands between us and our demise. And, and Psalm 68, the psalmist says it this way, speaking of God, Father, to the fa- Father of the fatherless and protector of widows is God in his holy temple. Are you feeling vulnerable this morning? Are you feeling like nobody's looking out for you? feel like you have to take care of yourself, look at this verse. God says, I I care for the the weakest of the weak, the fatherless, the widows, the ones who have nobody looking out for them. I am there to be their protector. David says it this way in Psalm 121. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? Where, Where do I look to for help? My help comes from the Lord who made the heaven and the earth." He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps you will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. Sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Right there's the eternal perspective. Doesn't say that God's gonna take all struggle away from us, that God that is God is gonna allow us to go through difficult experiences in our life, but it says He will be the one who protects us even then. When I was a high school kid, uh, in my house, if once you got to 16, you always had to have a job, at least a part-time job. That was just one of, the, one of the ways which our parents raised us. So in the school year, I found it was my favorite time of year because I could referee hockey, and I could make some bucks refereeing hockey. And, I, you know, the, the summer, I'd be, you know, working, you know, flipping burgers or whatever. But this was actually a fun job. And I was reffing a hockey game one time, and my dad uh, grew up here in, in Kirkwood. He was a cop in Kirkwood for 27 years. And I was reffing at, at Kirkwood Rink one day and little guys, probably eight or nine years old. And two kids got in a scuffle at the end of the very end of the game. And so I've got one kind of by the back of the neck and I got the other one by the back of the neck and they're trying to get at each other. And I'm skating them off the ice. I'm just trying to get them off the ice of the locker room, but I'm, I'm trying to keep them at arm's length. So I put one kid through the door and I guess his coach or dad grabs him. As I'm putting the second one through the door, I'm turned this way. Somebody grabs me on this shoulder and yanks me around and slams me up against the glass. And it was the dad of this kid. And he starts Cursing me using every word in the book, don't you ever touch my child, right? And a 16 year old kid, I am scared out of my mind, right? About 15 feet behind him, there were standing two Kirkwood police officers who knew our family very, very well and recognized me. And in about five seconds, that guy was face down and in handcuffs, right? <laughs> and I, I'm like, well, I got that. I'll be seeing you, right? <laughs> Now, trust me, when I was in high school, there were times where being in jail would have been safer than my dad finding out what I did, okay? But in that moment, I was under his protection. It didn't mean that I had an experience that scared me, it didn't mean that I had an experience that was, was, shook me up, but my dad was there. Doesn't mean you're going to go through life and go, boy, I just haven't had a problem since I've come to know Jesus. But your father's always there. He's there as your protector. He's there as your everlasting father. From this time forth, verse 7 says, and forevermore. Everlasting Father, first of all, means provider and protector. Second of the four, Everlasting Father means sacrifice. Not on my part, but on his part. Sacrifice means that the blessings and the benefits that you could enjoy, you forego those in order to give something to your children. What good father has not said, I want my kids to do better than me. I want my kids to have advantages perhaps that I've never had. When uh, Jordan, our youngest, was about three years old, we were living out by Queenie Park in a house that was not a bad house, but it didn't have any closet space and, and didn't have enough bedrooms and We pretty much, you know, as a pastor, you kind of know what your income is, and we're thinking we want to get a better house, a little bit bigger house, uh, but having trouble finding something that will work. And my dad called me one day, said, why don't you stop by the house? And I went over and sat down with him, and uh, he said, hey, you got a dollar in your wallet? And I'm like, yeah, I got a dollar. I didn't know you needed a dollar. If it's that bad, I'll give you five. I mean, I want to be a a good son. I said, No, a dollar will do. And I gave him a, a dollar. He goes, you can have that property next door that was your grandmother's. I don't know how much that was worth at the time, but I guarantee it was over $100,000, right? That's a sacrifice. I think of what my parents could have done with that money, but they chose not to. My dad chose not to. He chose to sacrifice. He chose to forego blessings and benefits in order to help his children. Listen to what God says about the Messiah and his sacrifice. In Philippians chapter 2, Jesus Christ Who though he was in the form of God, in other words, although he was God, he did not consider his Godship something he had to hold on to tightly, but he made himself nothing, taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, to the point of death even death on a cross. Jesus is the sacrifice. He is the one who doesn't just give you a piece of real estate. He doesn't just give you a good education. He doesn't just give you uh, maybe even an, an inheritance. He gives you life itself, and he sacrificed himself in order for you to have that forgiveness. The author of Hebrews puts it this way, speaking of Jesus, but it is, as it is, he, that being Jesus, has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as, as it is appointed for man to die once and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. I really hope that defines my life and, and your life and collectively Green Tree's life. People that are eagerly waiting for Jesus. People that understand the sacrifice that was made on their behalf or, or or whether or not we can truly understand all of it in this lifetime. At least we're grasping the outer edges of the fact that Jesus gave up everything in order that those of us who had nothing could have life and salvation. Jesus stood between Me and the righteous wrath of God that I deserved, he gave himself in my place. So the everlasting father is one who offers sacrifice. Thirdly, everlasting father is a father who loves his children enough to discipline. You know, there are two sides to every coin, right? So on the one side, and we've kind of joked about it a little bit up front and kind of dumb dad jokes, and there's also the fact that dads aren't perfect that we make mistakes, that we fall short, that we do something and we go, mm, I wish I could take that back and do it differently. But, but let me tell you, if you're under 20 years of age in this room, that goes for you guys too. You're not the most perfect angels walking around on the planet, right? Children can be uh, disruptive. Children can be unruly. Children can try to go their own way and can make life a little bit miserable for their parents. I've, I've told this before, but there's a mom and a, and a daughter who were arguing. At one point, the daughter looked at her mom and said, I did not ask to be born. And mom said, if you had, the answer would have been no. So those of you that are here today they are children, we love you. We would die for you, okay? But it doesn't mean that you don't get a little rascally every once in a while. The same is true of us as disciples of Jesus. We can lose our way. And dads are not perfect, but neither are kids. Children need direction. Children need correction. A child without discipline, we say, that child is what? What's the word? That kid's been spoiled, thank you, right? Now, it doesn't mean that the child doesn't bear some responsibility. We, we, we can think and we make our choices, but what we're saying is that child's been neglected. Somebody overlooked something and the outcome is not good, right? You left the milk out and you forgot to put it away and two days later you found out why because you smelled it, right? There's something wrong with this child because a parent has neglected to offer love in the form of correction, in the form of direction, Thank goodness that God is not a neglectful father. Thank goodness that God does not leave our discipline to us. But our everlasting father knows we need spiritual direction. He knows that we're going to mess up from time to time. He knows that we're going to make the wrong choices. And he loves us enough and cares for us enough to discipline us in those moments. As the author of Hebrews says, Have you forgotten the exhortation to you as sons or as children of God? So ladies, put your, your names in there too. If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Do you see what the author of Hebrews is saying? We need God to keep us going in the right direction. Your salvation is not based on how well you follow Jesus. Your salvation is based on the free gift of God through the cross of Jesus Christ. But when the Holy Spirit enters your life and when the Word of God takes control of your life, transformation begins to take place and you begin to move in a different direction. Your life begins to look more like Jesus than it did before. But there will be times when you misstep. There will be times when you make a mistake. And, and none of us want to see a watching an experience where a father is watching a child make a mistake and says, ah, what do I care, right? Who of us wants to see a father watching their child walk out on Manchester Road at the age of three and say, ah, he'll get across the street, okay, right? You want to take that dad and you want to choke him. Why? Because he's not loving his children well. Do I understand what God disciplines me when he says, Tom, mm-mm, not that way, but that way do I understand that that's love and that's care and that's grace? And let me also just remind us before we move on to our fourth and final point, that discipline and punishment are not the same thing. We use those words interchangeably in English, but in the Bible, they don't mean the same thing. In the Bible, the word discipline is never used for the word punish and vice versa. They're always separate because punishment has to do with paying the price for something you've done wrong. So I, so I go out and I, I rob a bank and I, and I get caught, and I get, a, I, I get a jury, and I get a trial, but I'm found guilty, and I'm sentenced to five years, 10 years, 20 years, whatever the time is, I am being punished. Now, we might say we hope the person you know, uses that punishment for their better, and they come out a better person, but the goal is not to make them a better person. The goal is for them to pay the price for the crime. That's not discipline, right? Discipline is I want the best for you. I want you to be able to make good choices and good decisions, and I want to move you in that direction. Our everlasting father disciplines. And then fourthly, and finally, our everlasting father is an example. He is an example. What does a good father, and it's already on the screen so you can see it, what does a good father never say? Do as I say, not as I do. It's the worst thing you can say to the child. Please, if you're, if you're in the child rearing years, don't ever say this to your children, Right? Just say this, what I just did was wrong. Don't you do that. <laughs> That's a much better message, right? But, but, but a father says, do as I say, not as I do, is, is not holding themselves out as an example. And children are mindful. Children have wisdom. Children have discernibility, and they need to see a life live, not just hear a message preached. They need to see their parents, the people that are of influence in their lives, setting an example before them. I think back to my own father and my dad made lots of mistakes with us growing up. My dad was not a perfect dad, but there are a couple lessons that I remember even to this this day. Uh, if, If I have a meeting with you, it would be one meeting out of about 500 where I'm late to that meeting. Because my dad said, if you're not 15 minutes early, you're late. And I not only heard him say that, but my dad was always on time to any engagement he had, whether it was work or otherwise. But he was always a half an hour early to work. My, they, the police work in shifts. And so it's 8 to 4, the midnight shift, it's the afternoon shift. And, and I remember, you know, the, dad worked here. and Mom might drop him off one day because she needed a car. It's 7.30. I'm like, Dad, you don't have to be there till 8 o'clock. Uh-uh, I got to be here on time. I got to get ready to go. And that just carried over with me into my adult life. I don't think I can ever recall a day that my dad was sick and didn't go to work. Now, there may have been, but I certainly can't bring one to mind. You know, my dad never played hooky from work. He always showed up, and he, and, he, and he not only told me that, you know, give your employer a fair day's work for a fair day's wage. You be there. You do what you're supposed to do, all right? He not only told me that, but he lived that, right? Children need examples. Disciples of Jesus need examples. Do we have an example in Christ? Well, let's look at a couple of verses as we begin to wind down here. The Messiah not only shares the way verbally, but shows the way he demonstrates for us how to follow. Jesus is talking to his disciples the night before he goes to the cross. And he says this to him: Okay, you guys call me teacher and Lord. And you're right, for so I am. If I then your teacher and Lord have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I meet very, very, very few people who reject Jesus because of anything he said or did. I meet a lot of people who reject Jesus because they look at Christians and say, there's absolutely no resemblance between those two, right? Jesus has given us an example that we should follow him. The way we live before the world really matters. And Jesus shows us a humble servant's heart and he calls us to the same. First Peter, the apostle Peter, a few years later writes this, for to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. Peter's talking about Christian suffering for being a Christian. People, Peter's talking about people making fun of you or picking on you or harming you or, or, or thinking poorly of you because you claim the name of Jesus. And he says, don't run away. Don't back down. Don't be afraid. Understand that suffering is part of discipleship. Going through a challenges where your faith is, is made fun of, that's part of following Jesus. That's, you've been called to this and you have an example in Jesus. He was made fun of. He was mocked. He was eventually murdered for what he said he believed. We have an example in our everlasting father. In Hebrews 12, one through three, the last verses for the morning. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. So, Okay, fellow disciples, we've got a long way to go we got to run this race, and endurance is the word. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. I don't believe I'll ever endure a cross. I believe Jesus has endured more than he'll ever call me to endure, but he shows me as an example. Despising its shame and seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Ultimately, the reason Jesus went to the cross was because you needed a savior. Ultimately, the reason Jesus allowed himself to be beaten beyond recognition, have a crown of thorns placed in his head and then have his hands and his feet nailed to a cross is because I need forgiveness and grace and mercy or I am lost. But it serves a second purpose that is, that is of great importance. And that is that we would know that suffering is part of our life as a follower of Jesus and we would willingly accept it. And we would know that we'll never suffer as greatly as he has. But if we're called to suffer, we can endure. Why? Because Jesus set the example. I know there are dozens of different dad experiences in this room, maybe even hundreds. I know that perhaps your view of God as everlasting father may be skewed to a negative side because of ill treatment or a lack of relationship. And this may be the hardest of the four sermons for you to hear. But whatever your experience is with your earthly father, understand that one of the ways that God describes himself is the everlasting father, the perfect one, who provides and protects, who sacrifices and disciplines and gives an example for his children to follow so that we can truly trust in him. Uh, As we're doing all month in December, when I wrap up my part of the sermon, which is like 90% of it, uh, we have uh, one of our elders who comes and just takes two or three minutes and shares about their experience on that particular name. Uh, And this morning in this particular service, Steve Hughes is going to light the Advent candle, and then he's gonna take a minute and share a little bit about what Everlasting Father uh, means to him. And I've bought you just enough time to get over here. Thanks, Thanks. brother.
1: As we think about Everlasting Father, uh, I'm reminded of an experience I had when I was in fifth grade. Back in the day, um, I loved to build model airplanes. In fact, I loved to build build them all the time. I was pretty good at it. I don't like to brag, but I I was pretty good. And um, so I remember one particular time I got this F-20 Navy fighter jet. And I was pretty excited, and so I brought it home, and I, I went in our basement, put on a little workbench, I, I opened up the little cardboard box, and sitting right on top, very clearly, are the instructions, the directions. Now, of course, being male, and possessing the gene that prevents me from reading directions, I, I quickly kind of placed them aside and thought maybe if we ever got a bird, we could line the bird cage with it, which would be kind of nice. But... Um, so I start building feverishly. I built enough models, I knew what I was doing, so I'm, I'm, I'm gluing stuff together, putting things here, the landing assembly, all this kind of stuff, and all I have to know about this particular model, in fact, all models really, but for planes, but there's two main parts, there's the wings, that obviously give it the lift, pretty simple, then there's the, the long skinny part, it's a fuselage, and it's a fuselage, French word, very nice to say, I must say, um, I was a French lit major. I got in my little moments of joy. So um, that's true, by the way. Um, and so every plane I built up to this point, you build the wings, you glue them, you let them dry. You build the fuselage, you let that dry. And at the end, you put the, you put the fuselage on top of the, the wings and, and it looks great. Well, as I did this, I was excited to kind of put it all together. I realized I made a horrible mistake because this is the kind of model had I read the instructions you had to build the wings first, and then like a sandwich, you had to put the fuselage on top of the wings. Otherwise, it just now I had these two pieces that just couldn't do it. And remember, you, this is the kind when you use glue, this tester's model glue. It's like spot welding. I mean, this, these things didn't come apart. And so I'm sitting there, and I at that moment, I just got, I was livid. I was so mad. I was frustrated. I couldn't believe it. here's all these w- parts of a plane laying on this, the table that, that can't do anything. And just what a waste. And my anger quickly turned to tears as the waterworks suddenly, you know, eh,
2: eh,
1: pff, out came the, the tears. I'm freaking out. I go running upstairs. I'm just so, I'm so mad. And I, I, I'm hoping somebody can do something. I go right past mom, who by the way, mom's, are so good at empathy. I mean, she could me, oh, honey, I'm so sorry. And here's a cup of cocoa. And she wanted me to rub my head and just <laughs> make me feel better. And that's what moms do so well. But I wanted my problem solved, right? So I go tearing off to dad. And I go to dad and say, Dad, I can't believe I messed up the stupid plan. I hate everything. I spent my loans. It's awful. And he's like, OK, settle down there, fella. I'll switch to de- decaf, maybe. Um, but then we go down. He says, Let's take a look. So we go down to the, to the workshop. And, uh, and he's looking at it, and he, he looks at all the stuff on, on the bench there. And then he says, gosh, Steve, um, where are the instructions? And I said, oh, I, I think they're over here. And he gave me this look, which I, it's hard to recreate, but it's this look almost like, oh, bless your heart. <laughs> so, uh, you know, my, my son, very proud. Uh, anyway, so, um, so he gets it out. He's looking at the instructions, what's going on. He, said, he looks at it for what seemed like an eternity. And then I just I couldn't stand it any longer. And he says, "Steve, um, I can fix this. I, ca- I can make it better." And I said, "You can really seriously?" He said, "Yeah, I can make it better, but you're probably not going to like the way I'm going to fix it." I said, "I don't care. I'll do anything. I, whatever, just do it." He says, "I'm just to break it. I'm to break your model." And it's like, "No, like I can't." He said, "Do you trust me?" I said, "Okay." And so I could, almost, I could barely not even look. It was, it was so horrible. He had, to, he had to put it in our vise and, and crank it really tight, the fuselage. And he, he got out the pliers and he got like a putty knife. And he's, all of a sudden he had a snap and pieces are flying. And I couldn't believe it. And then he carefully, you know, you know got it together. And even, I think he might even put his arm around me. I'm like, I couldn't believe this. And, and, and together we glued it back together. We, we took the plane and we restored it to the glory that it was supposed to be in the first place. And what's amazing is my dad wasn't perfect, you know, by all means. But in that moment, he, he, never, he never put me down. He never, he never shamed me. He never said, oh, you know, way to read their instructions, Einstein. You know, he never kind of, you know, like dads like to do, he kind of lovingly rib, oh, whatever, you know, flick him on the ear. It's like we think we're being funny, but we're not, right? And, um, but, but he so cared for me in that moment and brought it back. And it, it made me think of our, you know, as we think about Advent, and we're so focused on as we should be the manger and and, and the angels announcing this wonderful birth and the shepherds and, and the wise men, all these great things. And we think about that stuff, but, but, but orchestrating everything is this everlasting father is, and not just orchestrating it, but right in the center of it is our everlasting father, knowing full well what's going to happen to Jesus. What Tom just described of him being beaten and shamed and ridiculed and all these things, and yet. As we get so busy during the holiday season, it's easy to forget that God is standing there, that, that through Christ, when we, when we ask for forgiveness for those sins, for the times that we've, we've ignored the instructions and, and our life is a shambles of, of broken parts in, on, a, on a bench, uh, you know, as we have messed up things at work and with family and we're estranged from loved ones, all these things that have happened, that throughout all that, through Christ, if we're willing to, to humble ourselves, God will never condemn us. He will never shame you. He will never belittle you. He will never not value you for who you are because he sees you through his son. And I think about that as we go about our busyness, as we think about we have not just an amazing savior and the Holy Spirit, but we have this everlasting father there for us. Let's pray. Dear heavenly, amazing, everlasting father, Lord, thank you. Um, for today, for a chance to worship, to come and be with your people. Lord, thank you so much that you are a God that when we reach out to you, when we pray, we never hear the words, your call is very important to us. Lord, thank you so much that you are are always there. You are there as our provider. You're there as our protector. You're there uh, through your sacrifice and through your discipline. And, Father, even when we have to bristle at the discipline or when you fix things the way we don't expect or when sometimes you have to break the the pride that we we bring to you, Lord, help us to to be humble. Help us as we run to and fro and, and we go to the mall and we travel and we welcome people and we open presents and we watch movies and put on sweaters and do all these things, Lord, that we never lose sight that everything around us. You're at the center of it all. You are that everlasting Father, regardless of our earthly example, Lord. Help us to seek you out, to know that we are valued, we are cherished, we are loved, Father, and that only you can meet our deepest desires. And we ask this in the powerful and wonderful name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.
3: Good morning. Good morning. The name is Father, Dad, Daddy, and Pop are among the names many people call or call their paternal parent. When these names are used, many different feelings may be evoked by the one speaking or thinking of this parent. Some of these feelings may be of good times, laughter, family gatherings, vacations, and telephone calls, to name a few. Your father may have shown you love, provided for your well-being, and taught you how to live life. Some of us may have no memories of our father, or memories one would just as soon forget. I was blessed to have a father who loved me, his family, and the Lord. He was 42 when I was born. He coached several of my teams as I was growing up, played catch with me in the side yard, and we shot hoops in the backyard. He traveled quite a bit. When he did travel, we would spend those nights he was gone at my grandparents' home in Webster Park. I remember a call from him one evening while we were staying at my grandparents'. My birthday was approaching. He asked me if I would rather have a donkey or a bicycle for my birthday. (laughs) I, of course, chose the donkey. We had a teenage prankster in our neighborhood named Phil Slattery, and occasionally he would release the donkey from the corral. The most memorable release resulted in a phone call to our house on New Year's Day. It was from the Webster Groves Police. They had old Eeyore in the holding cell in the basement of the Webster Groves Police Department. (laughs) My dad, a staunch Republican, was not happy about driving down Lockwood with a donkey towed behind. Our menagerie continued over the years with a swap for a quarter horse and later a raccoon. Life with my father was full of warm memories. Sadly, my dad died in 1972 after battling cancer for three years. He was 67. My other earthly father was Sam Charlesworth, my father-in-law. In In 1975, he brought Sue, our son Adam, and me back to St. Louis from Atlanta to join him as a partner in his lighting agency business. He was taking a huge chance bringing his son-in-law into his business. What if it didn't work out? Well, this past year, I retired from that business after 42 years. Sam reinforced in me the importance of hard work, honesty, integrity, and faith. Sam always spoke with authority, was well-respected, and admired by his peers, and dearly loved by his family. So when Tom asked for elder volunteers, to share how God has fulfilled these four names, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. I chose Everlasting Father. It looked like an easy one. After all, I had wonderful role models with my dad and my father-in-law. However, after having volunteered for this one and reading the passage numerous times, I thought, what have I gotten myself into? Jesus as the Everlasting Father, I know Jesus as the Son in the Trinity. As I began my research, I found a sermon given on December 9th, 1866, by Charles Spurgeon. It is titled, His Name, The Everlasting Father. It is a wonderful sermon. I brought it with me. It's only eight pages, (laughs) single-spaced. And I thought I would read it to you, (laughs) but I only have three or four minutes, and I think I'm encroaching upon that. Um, So instead, let me give you Spurgeon's sermon in five of his sentences. Our everlasting Father, Jesus, in Hebrew, is called the Father of Eternity. He is declared to be the Parent of Eternity. Eternal existence is with Jesus, our Lord and Savior. He is the same today as he was in the streets of Jerusalem. Trust him now. Please pray with me to Jesus, our everlasting father, the prayer Charles Spurgeon used to close his sermon. Please bow your heads. O God, you have made me your child, and I love and bless your name. May God be pleased to give you all his blessing for Jesus' sake. Amen.
4: You know, I've often speculated that uh, one reason God has not blessed me with kids is because of the dad humor would have been so unbearable <laughs> as to cause irreparable emotional damage to my offspring. Um, but this would have been me. Maybe you saw a video uh, some time ago. It starts with a dad's car parked outside of an auto parts store, and the car is idling, and the dad's two teenage daughters come bounding out of the store and jump in the car and the first thing they say is dad we feel like such idiots there's no such thing as blinker fluid (laughs) and the other daughter says yeah or buckets of steam either so the dad had pranked his daughters uh, and they were of course exasperated with him but were they angry not a chance that's just an example of what we heard earlier—the kind of banter that's loving and caring, and and typical for dads and their kids. It's a father's love. Earlier this week, a friend shared with me how his young son loves to wrestle with him. They roll around on the floor, and the dad speculated how freeing and loving an experience that must be for his boy to know that his big and bad dad who could really whoop him if he wanted to, chooses not to. The boy feels perfectly safe knowing that dad would never let things get out of hand. When I was a kid, my own dad, about 9 o'clock every evening, would deliver to me a specially made peanut butter and jelly sandwich on a little tray. Nobody could make that sandwich quite like he did. Uh, it was just our way of connecting and uh special memory, uh, even today. So whether you've had similar experiences with your own dads or have only caught glimpses of a father's love through TV shows or movies, you can't help but get a warm feeling inside when you hear little stories like that. But as we've heard all morning, this is about so much more than earthly dads. After all, as we've heard, earthly dads are imperfect, and even under the best circumstances, Such nurturing moments, like we've been describing, can be fleeting or non-existent. Maybe you're one who has endured a difficult childhood, who bristles at the thought of your dad. Maybe you even wonder where he is or who he is. Maybe you've never met him. So some some may have experienced the love of your dad as conditional or achievement-based or based on unattainable expectations. Um, In any case, our longing for an earthly father's love can only partially and temporarily be satisfied by earthly dads. Isaiah, on the other hand, proclaims that Jesus will be the everlasting father to his children to love perfectly, to provide for, protect, forgive, comfort, and delight in us. I know that some here today have adopted kids and some have even been adopted. Can you imagine what it must feel like to be rescued and welcomed into a home where for the first time you get to experience the loving care of a father and or mother? What a great picture of the way our Father in heaven has rescued all who believe in Jesus, having adopted us as his own sons and daughters. And the best part, that in the care of everlasting Father, Everlasting means just that. His love will never falter, it will never fail, it will never compromise, it will never condemn, and it will never fade. What would it be like for you to more fully embrace the perfect love of the everlasting Father? Let's pray together. Gracious Father in heaven, we thank you for loving us as your own even though we have sinned and gone our own way. This Advent season, we celebrate that Jesus is the fulfillment of Isaiah's great prophecy. We thank you for adopting us to be your kids by the blood of Jesus, and we ask for your grace to relax into the arms of our everlasting Father, in whose strong name we pray. Amen.
5: Christmas Day Their old familiar carols Play And mild and sweet their songs Repeat Of peace on earth, goodwill To men And the bells are Ringing Like a choir they're singing Peace on earth In my heart I hear them peace, peace on earth Goodwill to men And in despair I bowed my head There is no peace on earth I said It is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. But the bells are ringing. Dead, nor does he sleep peace on earth the wrong shall fail the right prevail the peace honor, earth good will to men then ringing, singing on its way the world revolved from night to day. A voice, a chime, a chant sublime. A peace on earth, goodwill to men. And the bells are ringing. Peace like a choir, they're singing. Peace with our hearts, will right. with- Staying with us.
0: This morning, it's great to be together in the Lord's house, praising his name. We hope and trust that God's met you here this morning and has spoken into your life in a way that will bring life, bring hope, and bring healing. Our prayer team and our Stephen ministers are always right over here on my right. So after the service, if you'd like to speak with someone or you someone to pray with you and for you, they'll be there and available. Uh, don't forget our Christmas Eve schedule and now receive the Lord's benediction, which I gladly offer to you in his name. Now may the grace and the peace of the everlasting Father live and rule and reign in our hearts until the day we see him face to face. Amen. The Lord bless you. Go in peace.